Today we gathered for the 25th wedding anniversary recommitment vows for Mary Ellen and Steve. And so it was a wonderful, wonderful time together. I would ask that you take your Bibles. Let's turn to Deuteronomy chapter 4, the fourth chapter of the book of Deuteronomy, written by Moses, one of the books of Moses, and also called the Torah, or the books of the law. We're going to start with the first verse, and we're going to go through the ninth. I think it might really depend on personality. Some people, for a whole variety of reasons, as soon as they hear a law, they try to think of what's the least they could do to obey it and not get in trouble. But for other people, for a whole variety of reasons, perhaps based on personality, they will hear a law and they'll immediately say, wow, what more could I do to, so I can be like super obedient uh, to this law? Now you might think that the person who is super obedient is being a better person than the one who's just trying to get by. But that, in fact, is not the case. As we read earlier, when Jesus was dealing with these super obedient Pharisees that had taken the ten laws and created 3,000 expectations or traditions that the people of God were expected to follow or they would be judged by the Pharisees, when Jesus came across this, he was not impressed. He called them hypocrites. He said that you look at the law and you miss the intent, the heart is missing. People who add to the laws then, add extra laws, become irritating, judgmental do-gooders who actually drive the other type of people far away and the seekers away as well. Sadly, in addition, the over-scrupulous Christian can quickly replace the intent of the law with something that is very different from the intent of the law itself and can be subtly destructive, not only in their life, but in the life of the community that they create and the family that they lead. Jesus, of course, was not saying anything new when he was saying this to the uh, Pharisees. At the very beginning of the giving of the law, the mitzvah, the life-giving Ten Commandments of God, at the very beginning of that, when God gave it to us in the book of Deuteronomy, he warned us when he said, Now Israel, hear the decrees and the laws I am about to teach you. Do not add to what I command you, and do not subtract from it, but keep the mitzvah of Yahweh, your God, that I give you. Now, there are ten commandments given to us by God. They are considered the moral law that allows life to be lived in all of its fullness and abundance, where we don't betray one another where we don't lie or murder, where we don't have envy, where we don't undermine the very hope for happiness that human beings have in this pursuit. But as you know, there are some personalities, as I said, that don't even want to obey the ten. And the reasons are very complex. I've had many discussions with people who have decided to break one of the commandments of God. And there are psychological reasons, spiritual aspects to it, they live in a, a state of disobedience that skews their spiritual life 
and their psychological, relational, financial, physical lives. And difficulty occurs when that happens. But the opposite is not better. There are some personalities that add volumes to the laws of the ten. Every branch of the church has its traditions, like the Pharisees of old. Overscrupulous, we often become legalistic about those things that we expect other people, certainly Christians, should do. The result is just as skewed, but with a kind of arrogant superiority involved in it, not only toward the disobedient, but toward the normal, faithful, obedient child of God. The goal, of course, is an obedient faithfulness to God's law such that we have, it li have life, and we have it abundantly as God intended us to have it, physically, psychologically, spiritually, mentally, heart, soul, strength, and mind. It is ours to enjoy. So having already read what Jesus said earlier in the service and his um, uh, teaching about it when he saw it in action, let's go back to the text of Deuteronomy where God told us, don't do this. So Deuteronomy 4, we're going to start with the first verse, and we'll go through the ninth. Now, Moses is, of course, writing, speaking for God to us. Now, Israel, here are the decrees and laws I'm about to teach you. Follow them so that you may live and may go in and take possession of the land the Lord, the God of your ancestors, Yahweh, is giving you. Do not add to what I command you, and do not subtract from it, but keep the commandments of the Lord your God that I give you. And then 6 through 9. Observe them carefully, for this will show your wisdom and understanding to the nations, who will hear about all these decrees and say, Surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. What other nation is so great as to have their gods near them the way Yahweh, our God, is near us whenever we pray to him? And what other nation is so great as to have such righteous decrees and laws as this body of laws I am setting before you today? Only be careful and watch yourself closely so that you do not forget the things your eyes have seen or let them fade from your heart as long as you live. Teach them to your children and to their children after them. Now keep that open before you and let's pray. Father, we know that diligent Christians can often overdo and we're a diligent group of people, Father. We take your word seriously. We try to live it with love. We try to apply it in all the situations of our lives. So help us understand how to live that faithful balance that puts your truth in the center of our hearts. And out of that place, we live your intentions. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. Now, it's interesting that Moses wrote these words of Deuteronomy about 1,400 years before Jesus walked the earth and that account that we read earlier in the book of Mark. The interesting thing is these Pharisees knew what the book of Deuteronomy said for over 1,400 years. 
they knew it said don't add to the laws and yet they did thousands and thousands of laws we do we add all kinds of expectations to the moral law what does it mean to be a Christian or a free Methodist or however you define your faith now why do we do that what is the dynamic that works within the diligent heart that can create this danger why do we go beyond this balanced true faithful obedience to a skewed scrupulosity that misses the very point well I'm going to, to uh, give you some examples from my own life that I lived actually one primary example but you can, you can uh, use it and apply it in all the different ways when I was a child my parents who are very diligent very faithful very loving Christians had a whole list of additions to the moral law that had been given to them by their parents and in fact by our denomination it wasn't just their idea this list of rules and laws it was something that the denomination at that time reinforced and it was a part of what it meant to live in the holiness tradition we diligently want to live holy lives and so in that diligence that generation of Christians stepped over the line and became super scrupulous in the way that they lived their lives holiness biblical holiness if you look at what does it mean to live a holy life simply means to live in love to love the Lord your God with all your heart soul strength and mind that's what's behind the pulpit of Wesley in London when he started the Methodist movement that it's love it's love truthfully expressed and truthfully lived in each circumstance so that we truth it in love as the scriptures say that wonderful verb truthing it in love now we have to be diligent in order to live the life of love and so the the thought would be well if diligence is necessary then wouldn't a lot of diligence be even better don't we need to do things to really protect the way we behave if a little diligence is good wouldn't a lot of diligence be better wouldn't it help to create some guidelines perhaps some rules some expectations some traditions if we are to keep ourselves holy and pure and clean shouldn't we wash certain ways as the Pharisees said shouldn't we prepare for eating and and what we should do with the utensils that we use and on and on shouldn't we create super obedience isn't that a good thing now it's very easy when you see someone who's being disobedient to the moral law uh, even in the movies when they have thrown out the moral law of sexual faithfulness when they explore it and somebody commits adultery even in the most secular films they will show the destruction that occurs when someone does that because it is true to the natural experience of life and so disobedience is something that people don't really argue with of course we should not disobey we shouldn't lie we shouldn't steal we shouldn't kill it doesn't do any good to envy it steals your joy and so on but super obedience the law says in the seventh commandment and this is the experience that I grew up in do not commit adultery now Jesus goes on and says that it's not just something you don't do with your physical body it's something that you don't do with your mind 
you could actually commit adultery with someone in your thoughts if you lust after them, if you mentally pornography them. And so my parents and many diligent Christians decided that since some movies cause your mind to go to those sensual thoughts, we should therefore not go to any movies. And so a whole burgeoning art form that could speak deeply to the human condition, help us understand ourselves more fully, was in total rejected by that generation of Christians. Interestingly, TV was okay. <laughs> Just not big screen presentations. And that, of course, is the inconsistency of rules. The games, the rules play on the heart. It's fascinating. And it's psychologically, spiritually destructive. I have no doubt that any person who values their marriage does not want to adulterate it. And so any person who's wise must protect themselves from some movies and some TV shows and some videos and some magazines and some conversations and on and on. But when the focus is on the rule and not the intent of God to protect the heart from destroying trust and faithfulness in the marriage, then the movie becomes the focus and not the heat and heart of desire. The focus shifts. Protection uh, is weighing because we think, well, I don't even go to movies, so how could I possibly have wrong sexual desires? Sadly, unfaithfulness doesn't come from the movies. It comes from the heart. And its desires can be tempted anytime, anywhere. Many years ago now, I was invited to attend a Young Leaders Conference in Washington, D.C. It was a gathering of 20-somethings from all over the denominations and all the Christian world where these were up-and-coming leaders of Christianity and the organizers wanted us to know each other and to help lead the church. And as you can imagine, it was quite a gathering of ambitious, um, I wouldn't say immature, but uh, certainly unexperienced in their lives. I'll never forget the conversation I had when they separated us into small groups. And there was about six of us, and we were to pray for each other and get to know uh, how we were doing ministry. And there was a young Pentecostal woman in our group. She came from a very large, very prestigious uh, mega church, although they weren't called that back then. And she was praying. She said that there were three young women who had come to talk to her because each of them had had a vision from God that their pastor's wife was going to die and they were going to marry this famous, handsome pastor. Now, they were not at the movies. They were at church. <laughs> but their desire, their ambition, their narcissism had captured their heart they now had adulterous thoughts. Now their Pentecostal practice of seeking a vision from God had been the door for that expression, not the movies. And I'm not downing Pentecostal practice of God giving visions. That's a whole different sermon for a whole different time. My point is that it's not the movies 
that was the problem. It's our own hearts. They deceive us. They need protection. These young women were at church. And that's where it came. The place that we would expect that we would be least tempted and least struggle spiritually was a place where they had been most open to grievous sin. Now, as we've seen, we can, of course, disobey God and act on those desires from wherever they come and experience the, the destruction of marriages and pastors and spouses and children and congregations and all of those kinds of things. And we suffer the consequences of sin when we disobey. It's, it's as true as the sun rising, and it is as true as each consequence lives itself out. But on the other hand, the problem with scrupulous rules is that we turn away from the heart and our true selves and our need to keep our heart pure, and we focus on rules and enforcing those rules and making sure everybody else is keeping uh, those rules. And since we can't focus in two directions at the same time, unlike love, we do not see our own hearts, nor do we honestly confess what's happening in our own hearts. And we do not then protect our heart from the sin that overtakes it. The solution, of course, is to open our hearts to God's transforming love such that we have a holy love, pure, sincere, heart-focused, in which we allow God and His love and our love for God to transform everything about our strength, our mind, our soul, everything that we are in the heart so that we can live a holy, loving, truthful life that lives long and prospers within the land, that is able to experience the fullness of joy and 25th celebrations as we did yesterday and seeing God's wonderful hand at work in a couple. We see it over and over when life is lived faithfully. Now that reality is something that I would encourage you to stop and think about. Have you... Have you in any way turned away from the heart's intent to trying to be a good religious person? And are you not connecting with God in a way that he's near and that he convicts you and empowers you to seek forgiveness and cleansing and change behavior when necessary? That is the great privilege that we have as the people of God to become the holy people of God, the saints of God. Now, it's also interesting in these words of Deuteronomy in our lectionary text today that God, speaking through Moses, says that it is this very law, the mitzvah, the Ten Commandments, that creates a great nation. Moses, speaking for God, says, Observe them carefully, for this will show your wisdom and understanding to the nations who will hear about these decrees and say, Surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. And then just to make sure that we understand that it is this relationship with God, this love of God that transforms the heart and changes who we are and how we live our lives and, and the, the fullness of the life-giving commandments so that we know and he helps us live out those commandments of God. 
He goes on to say, what other nation is so great as to have their gods near to, the, to them the way Yahweh, our God, is near us whenever we pray to him? Now that's the relationship uh, that God wants to have with us. And what other nation is so great as to have such righteous decrees and laws as this body of laws you are setting before you today? Now, you do not have to be a student of history to know that when a nation lives by the moral laws of trust and respect and honor and truth and faithfulness and unity, that this creates not just great individuals and great families, but great nations and great governments and great economies and great uh, educational systems. It creates a greatness because it's founded upon a true foundation, something that will last whatever happens in the broader spectrum. When we look around today and we see murderous behaviors and racist expressions, we see that result in all of its flaming difficulty, disastrous consequences. It, it is true in each area of the moral law. When a person, a family, a community, a nation, a world disavows the ways of God, the consequences are obvious and they are destructive. These words of, Mu of Moses are almost 3,500 years old today. And yet we still struggle to faithfully obey without either taking away from them and not obeying them or adding to them and trying to be overly scrupulous. God sends his message to us through Moses when he not only encourages us to don't forget what he said, don't let it fade from your memory, don't let your heart become hardened to the ways of God, but that we need to teach future generations. Each generation of humanity needs to know the truth of God. We need to study it just as we're doing now. That we need to know and help each person understand so we can live faithful, balanced obedience to God's mitzvah, to the laws and truth of God. This morning as we go to God in prayer, whatever God has said to you during this moment, I would encourage you, if there's something that you need to Confess because you're not obeying the ways of God. Confess it. Forgive, receive forgiveness. Let God cleanse you. Let him restore you. Let his love be within you. You'll find that you'll be better able to love than you've ever been as you confess that. If you've become overly scrupulous and therefore judgmental towards yourself and others and critical towards what others are doing, confess that. Allow God to remove that overly legalistic way of Christian life and, and live with joy and mercy and, and understanding and, and peace towards all as you live your life. It's a wonderful thing to be faithfully obedient and I encourage us to do that. Let's spend time with him.